as many Sundays. Correct. Good deal. Um, and if, all right, do we like that? And the women's luncheon start planning on May twenty second. There's going to be a women's luncheon. There will be child care provided, and all women are invited and encouraged to attend. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. <clears throat> so I, this first song we're going to do uh, this morning is uh, based around uh, Psalm forty six. And last week, Ted was talking about. Um, you know the promises of God, and this psalm is just such a great promise of who God is to us. And uh, so, I want to start by just reading the psalm, um, Psalm forty-six. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, the, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And God, we thank you for that promise of who you are, that you are with us, that you are faithful to us, that you call us your children, that you want good things for us. And we just want to lift up praise to you now. Please join us. Oh, come behold the works of God, the nations at his feet. Breaks the bow and bends the spear and turns the wars to cease. O mighty one of Israel, you are on our side. We walk by faith in God who burns the chariots with fire.
nations rage, I know my God is in control. The oceans roar, you are the Lord of all, the one who calms the wind and waves, makes my heart be still.
Thank you for your blood that was shed. You took the weight of sin upon your shoulders. You sacrificed your life so I could live.
Good morning. God is faithful, is He not? And it's great for us to be reminded of His faithfulness and, and look back on His faithfulness and look ahead on how He's going to be faithful. I had uh, the privilege, I think this is probably the first time I've ever said this, I've ha- I had the privilege this week to uh, go to what we call in, the, in our district, District and Prayer Conference. Um, <clears throat> it's when all of the pastors and some lay people come together <clears throat> for three days of business. We talk about the district budget. We talk about initiatives that are being done. We talk about number of churches, those that have been started, those that have been closed. We recognize new workers. We recognize longevity in ministry and give awards for 15 years and 25 years and, and acknowledge retirement. And usually it's boring as all get out. This year was different. This year was uh, really a time of... of thankfulness, of gratefulness uh, to God's faithfulness to us. And yes, it was business and we did all of those things, but interspersed were some incredible stories of what God is doing. I don't know if any of you know of what, uh, if, if Bob Petty ever shared while times he was here, I know he did with some of the elders about uh, the India Initiative. And we got to hear what God is doing in India. And we have been hearing, we've been hearing stories every time uh, our our district has kind of adopted uh, India and what's happening there. But God's Spirit is moving in the country of India. Uh, There are some incredible things going on. And uh, we've been hearing about Trevor... And we've been hearing about Manpreet and two of the, of the leaders within the Alliance movement in India and, and what they have been doing. Unbeknownst to me, we brought in Trevor and Manpreet and heard straight from them what God is doing. And God is doing some amazing things. We heard of how each of them came to know the Lord at the age of 16. They're both 42 now and for the last, what is that, 26 years... They've been serving the Lord in a country that is anti, anti, anti Christian. Both of them have been beaten multiple times. Baseball bats, kicked, fists, bloodied because they shared the gospel or because they were carrying their Bible. The Christians there have learned that they wrap their Bible in newspaper and just tuck it under their shoulder and it makes it look like they're carrying the daily news. The church has gone underground. And they meet in house churches around the various cities and and areas. And in Manpreet's area where he oversees several house churches, he said 15 to 20 people are coming to put their faith in Christ every week. And they can't keep up with it in discipleship. They've asked for help in training leaders. They have one man who, who is leading a house church of about 50, which is a huge house church. There's not too many houses that can house a church of 50. He came to know the Lord six months ago. 
And he's pastoring this group of 50. But in his defense, all 50 of them have come to know the Lord in a shorter amount of time than the last six months. He is the maturest one in the bunch in what he knows and what he understands. And it was just exciting to hear what God is doing and how God is moving in, in India. And we got the, the president's report. That's one of the things they hand out. The president writes a report that goes to all of the district conferences. And, and usually it's, you know, bullet points and verses and things like that. And I glanced through it. And then our vice president got up and, and shared. And I, I want to share with you just kind of as a little missions moment, a little thankfulness moment at what God is doing uh, through the denomination that we are a part of. It says, When new ministries begin to conduct public worship, districts report them as developing churches. The number of new church starts reported in 2015 outpaced the number of congregations that closed. That doesn't happen very often. Resulting in a 1% growth in the total number of U.S. Alliance congregations, there were 2,020 churches reported. Now, I can remember when that number was under 2,000. And so we are seeing growth. Maybe not 15 to 20 every week in an area. But for the church in America to be able to say that we have seen growth is just reflective of God's faithfulness, of His goodness in what He's doing. The 2015 annual reporting numbers are 28,064 conversions. 28,000 people coming to know the Lord through Alliance churches. And over 11,000 baptisms compared to 29,000 and 12,000 baptisms in 2014. Both of these numbers are important indicators of disciple-making effectiveness. That the job is being done. That we are reaching people. That we are discipling. And then he closes with this. Although recent reports have indicated that membership in the Christian church in the United States is declining, that statistic, though true of all denominations collectively, is misleading. Many evangelical denominations are growing. And the percentage of professing Christians who identify themselves as evangelical believers is increasing. The Christian Missionary Alliance is one of those evangelical denominations that continues to experience God's blessing. The Alliance in the United States is not without challenges. Significant numbers of congregations struggle to engage their communities. Some are experiencing decline. Nonetheless, the Lord continues to bless the ministry of the Alliance. Men and women are coming to faith. Churches are being established and lives are being transformed by the grace of God and the power of the gospel. And we were encouraged. I was challenged by that. And asked myself, what are we doing? How are we fitting in? And in our own numbers, we've seen some incredible things happening. Last year we baptized 18. We're the ones that pushed it up over 11,000. That's what I'm going with. But God is doing some incredible things. And we have a plan to, to, to kind of hitch on to what He is doing. And it's always good to have a plan, doesn't it? To go into to some major initiative, to go into some major uh, idea with, with a plan, with, with some strategy already in place. 
last August, did we get our dog? <coughs> last August, we got a puppy. And running around, bouncing around in the backyard, and, you know, easy to contain. And, and about October, we realized this dog was not going to be easily contained. And now, just shy of one year old, she's 11 months, she's a little over 50 pounds, and runs lightning quick. And we determined last fall we needed a fence. Now, as luck would have it, our neighbors on three sides of us already have a fence. So I just need to connect my house to their fence. I just need to build the part in the front. And so I began laying it out. I, I began to, uh, to determine you know, what type of fence and, and where the posts need to be. And I began laying it out. And yes, I called 811. And I had 50 million flags in my yard telling me where not to dig. And luckily they all ran in between the fence posts. And it wasn't going to be a problem. And so I went out and I started spray painting where the posts needed to go. And we were making the plan. I went to Lowe's and I got the list of building materials and what I was going to need. And they helped me uh, kind of develop that plan a little bit more. And, and then I <clears throat> went out one day and I was looking and I was about ready to really start digging. And we were thinking about now's the, the time to do this, to move this into reality. And my neighbor came over and he said, I see your going to build a fence that what you I said yeah we just you know with the dog now and of course the dog had already been in his yard and in his garage and everywhere else because that's what she does she runs and plays and he said well we might have a problem I said well what do you mean he said well my fence doesn't come to the property line well I was going to put my post right next to his fence come to find out he didn't want me building my fence on his property. Totally understandable. He said he lacked about a foot and a half of coming to the property line. So we put the fence on hold until we could come up with another plan because we didn't want to build the fence and then run a fence down the property line and leave a foot and a half in between the two fences. Someone suggested to me, why don't you just build the fence, put the post on your property line, hang it over. So we went through winter and we decided that's what we we're going to do. I called the, or I talked to the neighbor and I said, I think I might have a solution. And he said, What? What are you thinking? And I said, Well, I want to put the post on my property and hang the fence over the line. He had a slight problem with that, but after I revealed my option was to build the fence down and leave him a foot and a half to mow, which his mower won't fit in. He graciously extended his hand and over a handshake, we decided it would work. Last week I dug nine post holes. Yesterday in the rain, I planted eight posts. I couldn't plant the ninth one because it's the lowest part of it and it was flooded. That'll probably get done today. But, but what started as a vision in October, or maybe even August when the pup arrived started to become reality. And looking at the yard, I can now see the post and I can begin to envision the fence and, and how it's going to work and where the gate's going to be, even though I messed up and my gate, instead of being 54 inches, is now 50 inches because I forgot to measure the posts before I set them. Live and learn. 
But the plan and the vision for a fence from last October is finally becoming a reality. Now that may not seem like a big deal to you. But when there's a foot of snow on the ground and my dog needs to go out, I don't have to go out with her. Open the door, send her on her way. Contained. Now as we walk through this personal story of Nehemiah that we started two or three weeks ago, we are basically step by step unfolding the vision of how Mac is going to reach Delaware County, of how we are going to be a part of reconciling all men to Jesus of what our responsibility, of what our role is, of, and begin to unfold the strategy of, of how we see this happening. That we're going to be moving from vision to reality very quickly. Nehemiah was focusing his renewal efforts on the physical rubble of the city, of, of the, the burnt, the, the torn down walls and the burnt gates and, and how devastating that was to him. To think that that the city of God was in such disarray. We know that, that God desires to reconcile all people to Himself. That this is what drives us. This is what compels us. This is what, what energizes us. That we are focusing our efforts not on, not on physical rubble, although, as I said before, that will probably be part of it. It goes along with it. But we want to renew lives. We want, to, we want to, to, to seek out lost people. As we started Nehemiah, we read that in the month of Kislev, Nehemiah found out that Jerusalem was in ruins. And that the walls were broken and the gates were burned and the people were in trouble. And it drove Nehemiah to weep. And not just weep, but to mourn. And mourning in, in a Hebrew uh, context is, is, is far more than what probably you and I have faced. Maybe not. Where for days, like he could not escape the fact. For days he could not lose the, the idea, the, the sight of, of the city being in ruins. He mourned, he fasted, he prayed. It says for, for several days. And when we looked at that first section, when we looked at that first section, we began to outline principles. And we said that that first renewal principle was that unless our hearts are broken for the lostness of this city, our hearts will never be fully engaged in the renewal. And we put out a call to fast. We put out a call for each of us to establish one time a week that we're going to fast and ask God to break our hearts for the lostness of this city. Ask God to begin to move in incredible ways through the lives of lost people and begin to, to, to reconcile them to Himself and to use us in that reconciliation process. To use us, us to reach the lost. And then two weeks ago we looked at the prayer that Nehemiah prayed focusing on, on the adoration of God, of who God is, the, the great and awe-inspiring, the great and awesome God. Father in heaven. And then when he went into a time of confession and a time of, of reviewing the promises, all the things that God had promised he was going to do, 
and then confidently made request that he might be successful in what God was laying out for him to do. That God might grant him that success. And we learned that our principle number two is that success in renewal is going to come as a result of prayer. Not cleverly crafted marketing schemes and skills, but out of prayer. The success always ultimately comes out of prayer and confidence in that great and awe-inspiring God. So now we're here in Nehemiah 2. <coughs> the vision of, of a rebuilt Jerusalem is starting to become a reality. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2, and I want to read the first 10 verses. Nehemiah says, During the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence, so the king said to me, Why are you sad when, when you aren't sick? There's nothing but sadness of heart. I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, May the king live forever. Why should I not be sad? When the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king asked me, What is your request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and answered the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. The king with the queen seated beside him asked me, How long will your journey take and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time. And it pleased the king to send me. I also said to the king, If it pleases the king, let me have letters written to the governors of the regions of the Euphrates River, so that they will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. And let me have a letter written to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates of the temple's fortress, the city wall, and the home where I will live. The king granted my request, for I was graciously strengthened by my God. I went to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent officers of the infantry and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard that someone had come to seek the well-being of the Israelites, they were greatly displeased. We find Nehemiah now, one chapter later in the month of Nisan, four months after his brother had come. Four months that we can only assume, and I wish, it, I, I wish he had given us just a paragraph, just a few verses of what those four months looked like. What, what did you do in those four months? What, what happened in those four months? And I think the only thing, the only picture we can gather is when we take the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 and put them together. And understand that for four months, he was praying and fasting. For four months, he prayed those prayers of adoration and confession and, and promises and confidence and, and, and asking God for success. And for four months, he waited. For four months, God began to do a work in Nehemiah's life, in his heart, in his mind. I think he, we, we find that Nehemiah's life became overtaken by the vision to rebuild the rubble. To where not a whole lot else began to matter. 
that his mind was occupied, his heart was occupied with, with what God wanted to do, with what God had promised to do, with what God had said he was going to do. And Nehemiah said, give me success. Allow me to be a part of that. However, wherever. And his brokenness for the city became so great that his, his heart was fully engaged in rebuilding those walls. Four months, he prayed for the opportunity to do something about the rubble. For four months, he prayed, if we put it in, in kind of where we're looking, for four months, he prayed for something, for some opportunity to get involved in the lostness of man. To get involved in the reconciliation of bringing people to Christ. I think in those four months of praying, God gave Nehemiah a plan. He gave Nehemiah a vision of what he wanted Nehemiah to do, of how Nehemiah was to be involved. And we can see this is principle number three. Our hearts have to be broken. Prayer has to be the thing that drives us. And principle number three is that God's vision requires God's provision and the people's revision. This is what I mean. When God makes a vision clear, our lives conform to that vision. Our lives have to be overcome, overtaken by that vision. That we revise our life. We revision our life. For maybe once we were heading this way, but as God clearly states, this is what I'm doing, this is where I want you to be involved, we revision our life. We revise our life. And I think we can see in these first few verses that Nehemiah was doing that over that four-month process. We see that his life began to reflect God's vision. Remember, the vision came from the promises of God in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 9. Where he says, but if you return to me, God is saying this, if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the ends of the earth, and that's where Nehemiah is, banished to the ends of the earth, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. He understood that the promise of God, what God's mind was, what his heart was for, was to bring the people back, to bring the nation back. And as soon as Nehemiah found that there was really nothing to bring them back to, God began to work in planning that vision of a, of a new city, of a new wall. Vision is a driving force. It is what makes us get up in the morning. It's what makes us go to work. It's what makes us go to school. It's what gives our life purpose and meaning. Proverbs 29.18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Maybe a better translation, that's the King James Version, maybe a better translation would be where there is no, and the actual word is revelation, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Or, as my translation says, the people run wild. Where there is no revelation from God, where there is no set purpose, the people just run wild. We don't know what to do. We don't have it. We're making things up as we go along. We don't have a plan. 
Now, when I started my fence, my nephew started building a treehouse for his daughters. He has twin girls in second grade, first grade, second grade, somewhere in there. And I, through Facebook, people were commenting, and then you have to know my nephew. My nephew never has a plan. He flies by the seat of his pants in almost everything. And when he set out to build this treehouse, someone asked him, do you have a plan? He said, nope, making it up as I go along. Now you might be able to do that with a treehouse. But it's not good in life to just make it up as we go along. Because what we will find is that we become reactionary, not proactive, we react. We react to what's happening. We're not proactive to move ahead, to move forward. And so, where does that vision, where does that proaction come from? Well, Proverbs says if there's no revelation, if there's no God showing, if God does not reveal what that is, then the people are just going to run wild. And so we get the vision, we get the, the, the revelation from God. That's the only place to get it. That we seek God out. That's whether it's for my own personal life, or for a corporate life, for a church life, for a denomination's life, for what's happening in India. That if God does not reveal what God is doing, we are just simply going to run wild. Maybe some good things will happen. Maybe some bad things will happen. We won't know. We'll just react to it when we get there. That's not the way to live. And Nehemiah understood that. Nehemiah knew that if God gives a vision, God's going to provide for that vision. And then our lives have to revision. We have to revise the way we live. And he began from the moment that that vision began to break his heart. The moment he heard what was happening in Jerusalem, his life began to change. His, his, his uh, energy, his ideas, his, his whole concept of, of what his life was about began to transform to reflect the vision of God. Look at, what he, look at what he does. He ended verse or chapter 1 with, For I was the cupbearer of the king. For years, Nehemiah's vision, his purpose in life was to be the king's cupbearer. And that was no small task. The cupbearer was a very high uh, honor. It was servant, but it was a very high class of servant. It was one of the most trusted servants in all of the kingdom. Because one of the most uh, effectual ways to get rid of a king, poisoning. You could do it subtly. You didn't have to even be in his presence. If you just poisoned his drink and walked away, the rest just took care of itself. You didn't have to go into battle. You didn't have to fear getting wounded. And so many kings lost their lives that way. And so they established cupbearers. He was in charge of the king's cup. He was in charge of the king's wine. And in many respects, he was in charge of the king's life. And for years, that was his role. That was his vision. Care for the king. Occasionally, the king would make them drink it to prove there was no poison in it. And I'm sure there were cupbearers who died. 
over four months, the condition of Jerusalem and the vision to do something about it began to revise Nehemiah's very countenance. Even how he looked, even how he acted, the the brokenness for, for the lost city began to change the way he interacted. His sadness showed on his face. Now, understand this, that palace protocol demanded that servants always look happy. No matter what was going on in their life, they were commanded to always look happy in the presence of the king. And to not look happy, to be a Debbie Downer, sorry Debbie. I don't make them up. But to be that, that, that mood changer could one, cost you your job, and if the king was really upset, cost you your life. And so he worked hard to always be happy in the presence of the king. That's why the king asked, are are you sick? Because sickness would have been the only thing that allowed you to not be happy as if you were ill. And it also explains why the, not only did the king ask, but why Nehemiah was overwhelmed with fear. He said he was, he was taken with fear. I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, may the king live forever. Please. I, I'll explain why I'm not happy right now. But for four months he was able to maintain that. Reflecting God's vision means being honest with our emotions, honest with others. It means being honest with with where we see people and, and what we see and where we see their life heading. It means not always being happy. Because the world is not always a happy place. And it's okay for us to reflect God's vision and to reflect what God is doing in our life and to reflect what God is doing in the world. So Nehemiah was honest. Our daily routine may not change. He was still the cupbearer. Every meal, every day, when it was his, now there were more than one cupbearer. He wasn't the only one on call, but when it was his turn to serve, he was there. He put a smile on. He did his job. He did what he was supposed to do. But all the time, letting that vision begin to, to burn within him. To beginning to revise the way he lived. Beginning to reflect. And so we still get up and go to work every morning. We still get up and go to school. We still take care of the house. We still take care of the kids. We still run the errands. We still do what needs to be done. And yet... Our purposes have changed. What we see and notice will change. That we'll begin to see the people around us differently. That when the brokenness... When when the brokenness of heart, when our heart breaks for the lostness of people, we'll begin to notice their lostness. When we allow God to revise our purpose, to revise the way we think, we'll begin to see them differently. Not as an antagonist. 
Not, not as a, a selfish person, not as, as someone who only looks out, not as someone who might stab you in the back. We begin to look at them as someone who is conflicted, someone who is broken, just like we were broken before Christ saved us. Paul told the Corinthians, For Christ's love compels, compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. We can't look at people the same way we used to. We can't see them purely as human. We see them as as people who have been destroyed by sin. We see them as people who are captive by the enemy. Prisoners of war, if you will. And Christ's love compels us to reach them. Christ's love compels us to do whatever it takes. Christ's love compels us And that we no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died. The whole reason we're doing it is not for us, not for Mac, not to make this look good, not to make Mac look good, not to make the denomination look good. We do it because Christ's love compels us. Because Christ died for all. I'm a firm believer in not everybody has to come to Mac. But everyone needs to hear the gospel. We're not the only point of light. We know that. But we are a point of light that God is wanting to use to reach this community, our communities, this county, this university. To the ends of the earth, we have that responsibility. And Christ's love compels us to revise our life, to change our priorities. Principle number one kicks in. Our hearts become fully engaged in the process. If you read further down, Paul tells us that that we have a ministry of reconciliation. That we, we take on the responsibility of God's desire to reconcile all people to himself. That we take that, we take ownership in that. That yes, God does the work in their life. The Holy Spirit will move and transform. Our job is just to make the introduction. Nehemiah's daily routine, his life began to reflect the vision of rebuilding the, the rubble. Began to reflect the, 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 the vision of rebuilding. And that God's vision requires God's provision, which means that it requires the people's revision. God's vision began to revise his priorities. It changed his heart. Changed his countenance. And now Nehemiah realized it was going to have to change his priorities. That Nehemiah now had a plan. Even before the king asked what was wrong, I think Nehemiah knew what he needed to do. We know this because he had an immediate answer for every one of the king's questions. What do you want me to do? This is what I want. This is what I need. Well, is there anything else? I need this too. Can I, can I ask for this? He's already thought it out. 
He already knows what God wants to do with him. He just now needs to step out and begin to, to revise his own priorities to see those things happen. As soon as his heart was broken over the rubble, he focused on the promise of what God wanted to do to bring the people back together. And for four months, the vision began to shape his dreams, began to shape his desires, and, and Nehemiah began to, to plan. He began to determine what it's going to take. He began to count the cost. What do, what do I need to take this vision and make it a reality? Luke chapter 4, Jesus says, For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying, This man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Anytime we step out, we're going to have to count the cost. We have to make sure, do we have what it takes to finish? God's provision, God's vision requires God's provision. And the people's revision. We've got to revise our lives. We've got to, we've got to begin to... Re, our life has to begin to reflect that vision. The ministry of reconciliation, bringing people out of brokenness and sin into a relationship with Jesus, has costs. This is really the truth that is foundational to our value of stewarding our lives. We understand there's a cost involved. And so we're going to steward our lives... That we might have the resources, that we might have the resources at our disposal in order to be about reconciling people to God. First thing it's going to cost us? Time. It's going to take time. For Nehemiah, rebuilding the wall meant time away from the king. He said, what do you need? He said, I need time off. <laughs> Cupbearer doesn't ask the king for time off. That's usually a permanent dismissal. But because of the way he lived his life, the king said, I, I, he found favor in the king's eyes. What do you need? I need time off. Now, I don't know how the negotiations went because, again, Nehemiah had done his homework. He gave him a specific amount of time that he was going to need. I don't know what that time was. I don't know if there was more renegotiating that needed to happen along the way when it was more time than that. But Nehemiah was gone for 12 years and I don't recall ever reading that he went back. But the king was pleased to let him go. Nehemiah knew that it was going to take time. And that means revising our schedules and our calendars to include lost people. Revisioning, revising our lives, revising how we spend our time to make sure that we are in the presence of lost people. Because we can't reach them if we're not with them. Reconciling all people to God means building relationships with people and that just takes time. It means living out the fruit of the Spirit in those relationships. Choosing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control when mad, upset, retribution, revenge would seem more appealing. But no, we revise the way we deal with people. We revise the way we live around people. Reflects Jesus' words to be salt and light. 
so that people will see your good works and give glory to God. The time that we spend, the way we conduct our lives before people has to reflect who God is. The ministry of reconciliation, I'll guarantee you, is going to be messy. Ministry is messy. People's lives are messy. Our lives get messy. Whether it's walking alongside the teenager who just found out she's pregnant or the young couple who just found out they miscarried. It's messy. Or the person whose whose spouse just walked out on them. Or the young guy who took one hit, one joint, one drink and now can't stop. Or the single mom is working two to three jobs just trying to make ends meet and feels guilty for not spending enough time with their kids. Life gets messy. We have to make sure that we have set aside time to enter the mess. To enter the brokenness. To maybe even bring some of our mess into their mess. It's going to take time. It's going to be intentional. It's going to take revising our schedules. It's going to be uh, having them into our homes. It's going to be visiting with them and theirs. It's going to be purposely setting our schedule to where we are at the same place at the same time with them. I know one of our members who who has struck up a relationship with one of the, the cash out the cashiers at, at Meyer. She finds out her schedule and purposely only shops when she's working. So it's not just a run to the store, it's a run to the store with purpose. It's to intentionally schedule my shopping time for when that person is there. I'm not saying we all need to adopt a cashier at Meyer. I'm just saying as you go through your daily life, as you live your life, go to work, go to school, mow the lawn, go to whatever, whatever things you're involved in, as you bump into lost people, you need to revise your time so that you're with them on a consistent basis. That you can have time to build that relationship. The second thing it's going to cost us is resources. God's vision requires God's provision and the people's revision. Nehemiah knew from counting the cost of rebuilding the walls that he was going to need lumber. He was going to need a lot of lumber. Twelve gates. I don't know how how many miles of wall. So he asked the king to write a letter. That would give Nehemiah the wood needed for the gates, the wall, and his own house. <laughs> if you're going to go, go big. I need lumber for the walls, I need lumber for the gates, and I'd like to build myself a house. And the king said, okay. Wrote the letter. Took it to the minister of forestry and down came trees and ran them through the sawmill and I don't know, 900 miles he lugged that lumber to Judah to Jerusalem this was part of the plan he knew what he needed and he took the risk in asking the king it, it takes resources to rebuild walls and it takes resources to rebuild lives now the building materials for a fence or a wall 
lot easier to come by than the building materials to rebuild a life. That's where the time comes in. It's going to take time to figure that out. And then we have to be willing to put the resources into it. Whether it's supporting ministries like, like First Choice or the Muncie Mission or Habitat for Humanity or Morning Star, they run on resources. Some of it's volunteer, giving your time. Some of it's giving your money. Some of it's giving goods. Supplies. Maybe getting involved in ministries like the, the Friendship Family Program. That's going to require resources. Having them for meals. Taking them places. Spending time with them. We revision. We revise how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our resources, our, our things. Or sharing meals with neighbors, taking in food to someone in need who, who has no church home. There are times in many stories of God providing in miraculous ways, even, even in the life of our church. Even since I've been here in the last year and a half of how God has miraculously stepped in and, and made provision for things that we didn't know how it was going to happen. And I would consider the king of Persia providing all of the timber for the gates and the wall a miracle of God's doing. Even in verse 8, he says, when the king granted his request, he was graciously strengthened by God. He knew where that came from. He knew that God's vision required God's provision. He knew that God had provided the lumber. He always gave God credit. But the, the people also, we've got to understand, carried a considerable amount of the provision, of the responsibility for what it was going to take to rebuild the wall. <clears throat> when the wall was all finished, over in chapter 7, Nehemiah lists what it took. He said some of the families, they listed all the families who currently at that point, 42, little over 42,000 people lived in Jerusalem at this point after the wall was finished. And he said some of the families gave to the project. The governor gave a, a thousand gold drachmas. I figured out what that a drachma to an ounce and an ounce to the way they measure gold and in today's money the governor gave 330 some thousand dollars to building the wall and 50 bulls I have no idea what the bulls were for and 530 priestly garments to the treasury some of the family leaders the head of the household gave 20,000 gold drachmas that's about six and a half million dollars and 2,200 silver minas. I didn't do the math on that. The rest of the people, everyone else, gave 20,000 gold drachmas. Another 6.5 million. 2,000 silver minas and 67 priestly garments. So the priests, Levites, gold gatekeepers, temple singers, some of the people, temple servants, and all Israel settled in their towns. They were willing to sacrifice. They, they allowed God's vision to rebuild the city. To revise what they did with their stuff. What they did with their time. They considered the cost and they were more than willing to give. Many of them sacrificed a great deal to rebuild the rubble. One of God's greatest assets is His people. How He moves 
among them. How he works through the church. Remember Acts in the early church that people gave generously as the Lord led them and all the needs were met? That as God's vision for the early church and God's provision, the people revised how they lived? Just as our daily life and our time need to reflect God's vision, so do our finances. So do our resources. So do the stuff we own. Our house, our property, our cars. They all need to reflect God's vision to reconcile all people to Himself. We carry our resources with open hands. God adds to them. We can enjoy that. God says, I want you to enjoy my provision. So we can enjoy that. We can enjoy things for ourselves. We can enjoy vacations. We can enjoy night outs. We can enjoy those kinds of things from what God provides. But if we have an open hand, God also can say, you know what? I want you to share with this person over here. I want you to take some of your resources and your food or whatever and share with them. And sometimes he says, I just want you to give it away. Just give it. Give it to this ministry. Give it to that ministry. Support this cause. Do, do this, what I'm doing over here. I need you to just give there. And so if we're not open-handed, if we're holding too tight to our stuff, we're not sharing, we're not giving, and I'll guarantee you, you're probably not enjoying it either. Open it up. And so we give regularly to the ministry of the church. I'm a firm believer that 10% is a good place to start. God says, you know what? I just take and give to the church. Support the ministries right here. What we're about. What Mac's about. What you want to be involved in. What you want to be about. We also give as the Lord instructs to the, the Great Commission Fund. That's the, what, what I shared with what's happening around the world. What's happening in India. What's happening in Germany. What's happening in, in, in South America and in Africa. That our denomination, that the Great Commission Fund is our denomination's way of keeping 700 missionaries in 80-some different countries. Fully funded. Not raising their own support. We also support local outreach ministries. I've mentioned some already. We also fund our own efforts with our neighbors and our co-workers, what I personally am doing. You see, if I hold too, grip of, too tight of a grip on, on my resources, on my stuff, a lot of that's not going to happen. God's vision requires God's provision and the people's revision to revise how I spend, to revise what I do with my stuff, to revise what I hold on to and what I'm willing to let go of. God will provide the resources to accomplish His vision. Some miraculously and some by leading us to, to revise our own giving and spending habits. And let me end with this. God's vision unites God's people. This was the most encouraging part of prayer conference earlier this week. Of seeing how God had brought people together and is doing some incredible things around the world. If we, if we read a little 
little farther down in verse 17 of Nehemiah 2. Nehemiah walked through the town. He took three or four days to kind of settle in once he got to Jerusalem. And then he took one night and he just toured the place. He went to all the gates, all around the wall, to see the devastation, to to kind of finalize his plan. And he didn't say it to anyone what he was doing. He didn't tell them why he was there. Said in verse 16, said the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, for I had not yet told the Jews, priests, nobles, officials, or the rest of those who would be doing the work. <laughs> I like I didn't tell them what they were going to be doing. So I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned down. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's walls so that we will no longer be a disgrace. I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. And they said, let's start rebuilding. Let's do this. And they were encouraged to do this good work. Now that word encourage means they put their hands to it. Not just, yeah, it's a great idea. Go get them. Yes, let's do this work. Let's get our hands dirty. Let's get in the mess. Let's be about what God's vision is. Let's be about reconciling people to Him. And and the exciting thing is that we are not in it alone. Nehemiah knew in Susa that he was not going to have to go to Jerusalem and build the wall by himself. He knew that people would catch the vision of God. He knew that people would rely upon the provision that God would supply. And he knew that people would revision their own lives to be about it. We're not in alone. God's plan. God's resources. It's perfect in every single way. Being on God's team to rebuild the lives of people is an amazing way to live life. And we do this together. We overcome obstacles together. We climb the hill together. Ministry is messy, but it is invigorating. Ministry is, it can, it can give energy, but it is also exhausting. But it's exhausting together. It's invigorating together. I'm the type of person, and this works against me as well as it works for me. I'm the type of person that is never satisfied. Never. There's always one more person to reach. There's always one more person to train. There's always one more person to disciple. There's always one more person to love. There's always one more thing to be done. But we don't do it alone. We do it together. God's vision unites God's people. That we bring resources together. We bring our time together. We bring our stuff together. And together we begin to reflect God's vision. We begin to reach the people. So we lean into God. The God who provides. We lean into one another. And we stay on mission. No one is out there alone. Father, I thank you that you love people. I thank you for the vision to reach this county, to reach this university, to to extend into the, the ends of the earth.
this ministry of Mac. Father, I thank you for, for that vision. I thank you for the ways in which you've provided. I thank you for the people that are here. Father, help us to, to revise our own plans, to revise our time, our calendars, to revise our, our, our stuff, to repurpose, to revision. Father, help us to not hold on to things too tightly. But know that you'll provide for our needs as we live out your call, your vision. Father, continue to break our hearts for the lostness of our communities. Father, help us, give us the courage to trudge into the mess. Knowing that we don't need to be perfect. That sometimes our lives are just as messy. Father, help us to understand that we're in it together. That we fight side by side. We work side by side. We lean on you and we lean on each other. Father, continue to call us. Continue to lead us. Continue to guide us. That we will continue to see numbers added to your kingdom daily. Whether they ever attend here or not. That they're in your kingdom. And that we work together with them from wherever they are. Father, grant us this request. Grant us success in reaching the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. day.
Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at your feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. Take myself and I will be If you just want to spend time talking to God, asking God, we've kind of designated this area up here after service. People from the prayer team will come join you if you would like. Elders, I would be more than willing to to, to pray with you as well. Um, But just if you need some time before you head back out to let God speak to you and and work through you some things that maybe you heard this morning or you you just want to, to, to spend time with Him, do that this morning before you leave. Wednesday night, we, will, we have two weeks left of our, our time of prayer, um, our lessons on prayer. I encourage you to come out of we'll a meal at 6, teaching at 7. Uh, each one of us has been given the task to be a truth bearer for the King. And to allow that to transform the way we, lie, the way we live. John wrote in his... Revelation as, as Jesus was laying out what is going to happen. 
He says in chapter 7, Then I saw another angel rise up from the east who had the seal of the living God. He cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who were empowered to harm the earth and the sea. Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we seal the slaves of God on their foreheads. After this I looked. There was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, language which no one could number standing before the throne and before the lamb they were robed in white with palm branches in their hands and they crowded out in a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb we have the privilege to be truth bearers of the king to add to that number to be about the business of reconciling all people to God let's get at it God's promise to provide. If we are willing to revise, He will do it. His work, His plan, His way, His people. Amen?